Hello, it's 3rd of June 2017 and this is episode 32 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Uh, it's been fine. Like, I've been pretty light on the Star Wars stuff this week. Mm-hmm. Um I've actually been reading Northern Lights again because awesome. the Book of Dust is coming out in October. So that's kind of the thing that I've been focusing on this mm-hmm. week. Not Star Wars so much. Yeah. How um, far are you through it now? Uh, just a few chapters. But mm. I've got plenty of time to read through the series again. This is His Dark Materials for anyone who's not necessarily a fan of that. But yeah, I'm really excited for that book. So yeah. how about you? Um, yeah, that was being relatively light on the Star Wars, which actually has been great. It's been quite relaxing because last week was so like, ah, make it stop. Stop the news, <laughs> please. <laughs> and, and this week it's like, ah, calm. And yeah, it's kind of what I needed. It's like going into a t- decompression chamber, like on a spaceship or something. And then you just like breathe out and relax. And yeah, it's nice. Um, and yeah, today I got my Vanity Fair issue. With um, Leia on the cover, like mm-hmm. I, the initial plan was to get the first order cover, but they didn't have it, and Leia's cover just looked so damn good that I was like, "Yep, I'm totally getting this." And I'm I jealous that you it. have yours already. <laughs> yeah, you sent me a message, and then I went out running around the shops here to see <laughs> if I could find it, but they've still got the Brie Larson cover out, so maybe a few days yet. Curse the Brie Larson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I was really surprised to see it. I think um, it was because I saw some people murmuring about having found it in Swindon or something. I thought, like, hmm, if it's in Swindon, that means it's in the UK. <laughs> because Swindon's in the UK. And um, yeah, so I went out and behold, there it was. It was awesome. And yeah, like it's really beautiful. Um, the photos all look great in it. Um, the only disappointment is that the one of Ray running with her lightsaber that is only printed in a very small version which is mm-hmm. a shame it's one of the nicer photos but i guess they just ran out of space how small is it like a quarter of a page or even smaller than that <sighs> smaller than a quarter of a page oh wow okay yeah it's like um not even in the main article it's part of like an extra article on the behind the scenes hmm. so yeah like it's a bit strange but again space issues one imagines yeah that surprises me though because that's one of the most stunning shots in my opinion yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it might have also been that they felt it was a bit too Ray heavy because there was already the one of Ray and Luke and the one of Ray and Chewbacca. I so suppose. they might have wanted to limit it to like two shots per person or something. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, and yeah, just as a quick um addendum to things, I just want to say that I saw Wonder Woman today, and it is amazing. Seriously, I recommend it so much. And I know it's bad because it's not stars. But yeah, seriously, seeing Wonder Woman, it was like, wow, I really, really want Patty Jenkins to direct a Star Wars movie. Because mm-hmm. so much of the strength of that film is in the direction and the choices that she makes about like the focus of the film and how it's shot and the things that are emphasised in the edit and stuff. And yeah, it's just so well done. Because I was kind of approaching superhero film fatigue I was like, I'm totally done with these films. I I just don't really want any more of them. But it just felt so fresh and lovely. And it just has a beautiful message about love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was really nice. It was exactly my cup of tea. So yeah, go and see Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm hoping to see it tonight. I'm hearing lots of great things. And um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Kathleen Kennedy's already talked to Patty Jenkins, to be honest. So yeah, 
like I think she's made it clear that they've had conversations with female directors, so I'd be shocked if Patty wasn't on that list. Oh yeah, did you watch Safety Not Guaranteed yesterday, Kirsty, in the end? Yeah, so I'd already seen it once before, but it was quite a while ago now. Yeah. And then I watched it last night, and yeah, I still really think it's a great film, and I am optimistic about Colin for Nine. Yeah. Um, I mean, we haven't got The Last Jedi yet, so it's kind of jumping the gun to even think about it, but I think he has the ability to round off the trilogy in a nice, cohesive way, so... Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I, I don't think I'm as struck on safety not guaranteed as other people, but it's definitely very strong in terms of the characters and in terms of the handling of the romance. And basically it makes Colin Trevorrow look good in the areas that Jurassic World probably made him seem weak in, because Jurassic World is not a character movie. <laughs> right. I know a lot of people had concerns about the female character in yes. um, Jurassic World, but I think Aubrey Plaza's Darius, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's lovely. Yeah. So, no, she's yeah, very think, charming. Yeah, if anyone has reservations about him as a choice for Nine, I would say watch that film and then make up your mind. So Yeah. No, absolutely, it's very encouraging. Um, right, then to move on to our news, we are basically going to begin by playing ca- a bit of catch-up with... Um, rounding off the Vanity Fair business that obviously cropped up last week. Um, there's so much that came out from that and we could do like an exhaustive breakdown of every single little thing that came out but we've decided that we'd just rather like focus on some of the big things like the big talking points that came out because yeah we don't want to do like a four hour podcast <laughs> <laughs> and we want to keep things clipping along relatively nicely. So yeah the first thing we'd actually like to go back to is revisiting something because in our last podcast, um, we spoke about one of the web articles where it was basically listing five things that are in The Last Jedi and five things that aren't in The Last Jedi. And yeah, it was a very odd article. I think we both agree because it basically said, hey guys, you know this movie you're excited for? Here's some stuff that's not in it. Um, which seems like a very skewy marketing strategy to put in mildly. Um, but yeah, basically we got the full quote about the romance issue that was raised in that article and it was really interesting because it actually put quite a different spin on things. It's like a case where context changes everything. So in the original article, this is what I said, five things that are not in The Last Jedi, a big central to the plot romance, for all the fanfiction fantasies of Raylo or Stormpilot, Johnson says that The Last Jedi offers no one-to-one equivalent of the hand-to-layer burning unrequited love. In our story, that's not a centerpiece. Then, when we actually get the full quote from Camp's Twitter, I believe, because basically there was a bit of a furor about this on Twitter, so I think they felt like they had to clarify to clear the air. This is what was actually said between Camp and Ryan Johnson. So, Camp... In the original trilogy, there was the Han Leia romantic relationship. Does a romantic relationship happen in this movie? Ryan, not the way it does in the original one, no. And that's something that I would have loved for there to have been. But when we started working forward with these characters, it just didn't feel... And he's cut off. Camp, does anyone get involved with anyone? Oh, I curse him for cutting him off like that. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to say something really interesting? Johnson, (laughs) well, you'll have to see. But there is no one-to-one equivalent of the hand to layer burning unrequited love in our story. Yeah, I can't speak to what Colin is doing. In our story, that's not a centerpiece. 
So yeah, did um seeing the full quote like change your perceptions or comments or like make you reassess your like initial thoughts about it, Kirsty? It does because this seems more in line with what I was thinking the last Jedi would be anyway. Because mm-hmm. as he seems to be implying in this conversation, the, when you leave the characters at the end of the Force Awakens, and because we know the last Jedi starts right after, mm-hmm. none of the characters seem like they're going to embark on a romantic relationship right now um very true the only potential couple that i could see them going for in that respect would have been finn and ray but Mm -hmm. we know by now from the marketing and from the way the force awakens kind of right at the end when ray leaves it's made kind of clear that they're not going to be spending a significant amount of time together in the last jedi Mm -hmm. so this all makes sense to me yeah um And I think Camp might have just jumped the gun a bit in the way that he spun it. Um, Yeah. No, I definitely think it was the spin that got people so up in arms and so, like, what the hell is going on about this? Because, to be frank, the whole article is framed in a very strange way. Because he basically had a quote that confirmed, yes, John Williams is doing all the music. And from that, he came up with the headline, there will be no new music from Lin-Manuel Miranda. And... That is like the most weird and unrelated thing like I could possibly imagine because no one was asking that question. No one had that expectation. So I just can't help but think, like including the references to things like that, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, like the ship names and everything. I really do think that's just about like attracting those clicks and getting attention. Mm, I'm a bit more sceptical than you are um, with the ship name stuff Yeah. in terms of how much oversight Lucasfilm had with that kind of thing. Um, yeah. We'll probably never get a definitive answer, but um, I would have been surprised if, even though these were web extras and they don't appear in the actual Vanity Fair magazine, yes, um, it just seems strange to include ship names if that's not actually the way the story is going to go. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't no, know if I'm making any sense. No, no, I'm just. You... I'm just a, I mean, as you said last week, I've been more reserved in my predictions for romantic relationships. Um, in the last Jedi, anyway, than you, but um, yeah, sure. It's just something I want to keep in mind. It's not something that I would kind of sweep under the rug. So yeah, no, sure. Like, like I say, I definitely like take Ryan's comments to mean we can't like expect a full blown romance between anyone in the Last Jedi. Uh, but to be honest, even though I am more optimistic than you generally, like in terms of Raylo and stuff, I still wasn't expecting like a full blown romantic relationship between them and the Last Jedi. Because that would simply be way too soon. Right. Like, there just hasn't been enough development to bring those two characters to a state of like mutual understanding and empathy, which they really need to be in if there is to be a romance there. Because, yeah, the last Ray saw of him, he had just like cut down her friend and killed his father. Yeah, there's just too much heavy lifting to do with the sympathetic backstory stuff, which we're, we're going to get. Like, that's yeah. obviously the direction they're going in. But you have to have that stuff first, so... It, it will change the structure of the story. And because it's a female-driven nar- narrative, mm. like we've said before, the heroine's journey operates differently, especially when romance is concerned. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't think this is the way <laughs> this story is going to go, but um, a point of comparison for me would be something like Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Where something is kind of like a, a slow burn where the woman thought she hated or was afraid of this person, and then he turns out to be not so bad and actually quite similar to her in ways. But it takes... It takes the whole journey to get her to that place. Yeah. But don't so. forget that Eddie Redmayne auditioned for Kylo <laughs> Ren and they auditioned him using part of Pride and Prejudice. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
so. keep, keep those dreams. <laughs> so whether whether there would end up being over romance or not, and I'm kind of reserving my judgment for that. Yeah, um, sure. The story will still go that way in broad strokes because because they made a point of starting it out in such an antagonistic way. The only way forward is for Ray to feel compassion on some level. Yeah. I hope no one's too worried about all that stuff. Because for me, romance has always been one of my favorite parts of Star Wars, but it doesn't really matter to me if it ends up being structured differently and then it would like there would be more of a romance to it in episode nine, which I think he's kind of hinting at with what Colin, you know, saying that I can't speak to that, but yeah, that he can't overtly, obviously, because then that's spoilers for his story. So, yeah, exactly. And like we referred to Safety Not Guaranteed earlier, and that is basically romance. The main thrust of the plot in that film is a love story, pretty mm. much between two people who. Like are a bit, I guess, would you call them like outcasts from society? Like they don't really feel like they fit in. They don't feel like they understand the world, and they don't feel like the world understands them. And then they come together, like, and enter into a relationship over the course of the film, despite all the odds. And I'm not saying it's a similar relationship to what a Raylo relationship would look like, because I don't think it really is beyond some very, very, very broad things. But it does demonstrate that if there is to be an actual full-blown romance in episode 9, Raylo or not, then Colin could do it because he oh, has yeah, precedence of that. And, you know, I always come back to Finn and Rose as well because I think yes. they're pushing that quite heavily too. And and if you took Ryan's comments to be referring to them as well, that could also apply because we haven't met Rose yet. So yeah. I, I've seen a lot of fans say, well, if they have a romance between Finn and Rose, that might seem kind of rushed because they've only just met. Um, yeah. So we'll just have to see. Exactly. So, yep. To move on, <laughs> then we had another drama. Um, in the fandom, these have basically been known as Gates. So the former Gate, in air quotes, was called Romance Gate. And the Gate we're talking about now is called Plot Gate. And yeah, basically, it kicked off on Twitter because <laughs> someone asked Ryan. In, v- in Vanity Fair, you say that you were given a lot of freedom for The Last Jedi, building from The Force Awakens, but some of the story was already planned, yes? Ryan Johnson, nope! <laughs> <laughs> and then the same user replied, but how do I reconcile that with this? Some sense of where the saga was going. And then he attaches a quote from Kathleen Kennedy that says, no, because at that point we were sitting down and talking about where this might go, even as early on as with Michael Arndt. We were sort of plotting out because obviously if you know up front that you're building the pacing inside a trilogy structure, we needed to have some sense of where this saga was going without locking in on things and leaving room for creative development. But we had to have some sense of where we... And it cuts off. I'm sure they talked about where it might go early on. This is from Ryan. But when they came to me, there was no mapped story presented beyond The Force Awakens. <laughs> and this basically got the whole fandom in a massive like tease or at least on twitter i was gonna say most of what i saw on tumblr was people just having fun with it and making jokes myself included yeah i i did see some genuine panic most of the genuine panic was on twitter and reddit um because i guess twitter was where it started so that kind of makes sense and on reddit people are basically always in full-on panic mode (laughs) (laughs) there's lots of flapping and stuff it's quite funny um but yeah like it is a bit of an odd thing to say openly like nope we had new direction sir 
But I really think Ryan probably doesn't mean that in the fullest sense that it's been interpreted as. Because I think what he means is did they come to you and say, we need in this story for you to have this in Act 1, this in Act 2, and this in Act 3. Like, I think that's probably how Ryan understood that question to be. Like, I think he envisioned people asking, was there a rigid plan that you had to adhere to? Right. And he's saying, no, there was not. Um, because everything we know indicates that that's true. But I do believe that there's certain things that they seeded in The Force Awakens, like that they had ideas of where they would go, and then Ryan also shared in the belief in where those things would go and was keen on continuing that because otherwise The Force Awakens doesn't make sense. Yeah, and otherwise they wouldn't have signed these particular directors up if they didn't kind of have broad stroke agreement on the narrative or like what they were trying to say with the story. Yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of like you have to take a middle ground with this stuff. And I think Pablo Hidalgo has been saying similar stuff when people have asked him to clarify, because this is kind of what the story group's for, right? They collaborate with the directors. They're not just about saying what's canon and what's not. They're not fact checkers. Yeah. Um, but it's about keeping things cohesive. And so that there's an overall vision that's shared by the people at Lucasfilm. Um, so I do think Ryan's being quite obtuse when he says nope. And it's probably because he's kind of already getting tired of people implying that he didn't have creative control over his own movie because that's yeah. not the case. He was hired because they liked what he was able to do. Yeah. Um, but he's not working in isolation. He's not locked himself away in a room. He actually said in the, the article that he went to San Francisco and stayed like he worked at Lucasfilm with people yeah. He wanted to collaborate. Um, last year's celebration, he was talking about how Dave Filoni was on the set with him. Like it's, mm. you know, they all work together. Yeah. And we know from interviews with people like JJ that he's worked with Ryan, that they had conversations about the characters and where things had been established and where they might go. Yeah. Um, we know that Ryan had suggestions for bloodline. Claudia Gray said that. Um, so, it is it is more nuanced than what he's saying, but I also understand why he's doing it. Yeah. So people just need to relax, I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's like Pablo tweeted, the development slate is the Lucasfilm side. Once a filmmaker comes aboard, it's his or her story to hone with Lucasfilm collaboration. Like, I think that's all that people wanted. That's the reassurance people were seeking. So, oh, it's not just Ryan Johnson going into a bunker for two years and then coming out and saying, we are going to film this, no alternatives, no compromise. <laughs> right, and I think that's what people had understood previously. Yeah. It was only when Ryan answered that way that people were like, what? This, yeah. isn't, what, this isn't what I thought was the case. I thought you were all working together. It doesn't mean that things were completely mapped out so that Ryan had no say. Yeah. It was his say, but by working with other people, and that's totally normal. Yeah. Um, I have seen some fans kind of make fun of other people for being like, don't you know that the original trilogy was kind of made up as it went, went along too? But honestly, that's not the best endorsement, in my opinion. Yeah, like I love the original trilogy, but sometimes you really, really can tell that they were making it up as they went along. Cough, Luke and Leia. Exactly. It's like, well, who would be rooting for that to happen again? It's definitely not that bootleg anymore because they knew there was a trilogy from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and you know, yes, JJ and Kazan were responsible for The Force Awakens, but they knew that they were also setting up this broader story. Um, and they had to keep in mind where things were going to go between these characters. So, yeah, like, 
I don't know what else to say about it. I, I'm not worried about it. Um, it's yeah. just kind of funny that these gates happen, really. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I think it kind kind of happens because we've been so long without news, like for months and months and months, that now we're actually getting news. We almost don't know how to handle it. It's like, ah, news, oh no, what do we do with it? We panic! Like, And again, not everyone panicked, but I do think that there's these big, big conversations around these things that under normal circumstances just wouldn't be stories. Right. You know, people wouldn't pay attention to it, but because it's Star Wars and because people are in this like hypersensitive state about everything that comes out, it means they like jump on things and chew over things in a way they wouldn't otherwise, Like, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do think the fandom's reached a point of fatigue, honestly, with The Last Jedi, because we're all conscious of the fact now that we're into the time period where we would have already had the movie had they not set it back. Yeah. So now it's just kind of like, yes, we're sat around waiting. And I know there's going to be more coming down the pipeline. Like We're going to get new trailers and toys yeah. and everything. Um, but a year and a half is a long time in a fandom where everyone's so invested in figuring out the story. Yeah, totally. So I think, you know, I saw some reactions to this that were like, well, it means that all of our speculation and theorizing has been useless because everything in The Force Awakens, you know, Ryan Johnson doesn't have to take any of that on board and he can go somewhere completely different. I don't think that's what they're doing. No, not and at if all. And they, if they were, it would be a massive mistake because then it, you know, it, you could enjoy The Force Awakens on its own terms, but then it becomes meaningless. Like I've seen some people say, oh, this means that there's no subtext, no foreshadowing. He can do anything he wants. He can have a surprise twist in there that makes absolutely no sense. Um, and I've seen some people actually rooting for that because then it means that their pet theory would come true, even though <laughs> it seems to have been debunked by the Force Awakens, which is kind of strange in my opinion. But um, yeah. like I had someone, I think in response to Plotgate, ask me on Tumblr whether the lack of a plan meant they would just be going with what was popular in the fandom. No way! And, and I was like darling if they did that then the last jedi would feature prominently a passionate love affair between kylo ren and general hux you know because that is by far the biggest ship <laughs> they do not base the actual story on what fans are doing basically yeah and I thank god for it need to remember that the the last jedi was written or at least the bulk of it was written before any of us had even seen the force awakens yeah and i've seen some people panic about you know and it's probably because it sounds too good to be true like we were saying wow we're gonna get rose and page tico um i've seen some people question whether they were introduced as a way to get people away from the idea of storm pilot but again the parts were written mm. um kelly marie tran was cast before the force awakens hit cinemas yeah i don't know about page that's a smaller part so maybe not so much but i just you know this wasn't a case of Ryan Johnson going to the cinema to watch The Force Awakens with the rest of us and then being like, hmm, I wonder what I would create for the sequel. <laughs> yeah, it's not how it works. Like, I think this quote from J.J. Abrams, which is from November 2015, so a month before The Force Awakens came out, is really illuminating, and I re really do think it should reassure anyone who's concerned. Um, he says, We had meetings with Ryan and Ram Bergman, the producer of Episode Eight. They were watching dailies when we were shooting our movie, we wanted them to be part of the process, to make the transition to their film as seamless as possible. I showed Ryan an early cut of the movie, because I knew he was doing his rewrite and prepping. And as executive producer of episode 8, I need that movie to be really good. Withholding serves no one, and certainly not the fans. 
so we've been as transparent as possible. Ryan has asked for a couple of things here and there that he needs for his story. He's an incredibly accomplished filmmaker and an incredibly strong writer, so the story he told took what we were doing and went in the direction that he felt was best, but that is very much in line with what we were thinking as well. Like, that to me is all I need to hear. Exactly. To be honest. That says it all. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good last word to have, actually. <laughs> um, right, then we can move on to discuss some Lego sets that came out. <laughs> it's so funny to be discussing this stuff seriously <laughs> and earnestly. So it's so silly. Um, but yeah, it's actually quite interesting from in terms of what you can extrapolate from these Lego sets. I will say that we are going to be veering into a somewhat spoilery discussion for this segment. Um, but I would say it's light spoilers because it's not like we're going to be breaking down like massive revelations in the plot it's just going to be more discussing okay who's going to be where for which set piece and when might this happen in the film it's going to be those kinds of discussions um right so the first lego set we have appears to be on crate and it features the first order heavy assault walker um and i think making stars reported on these previously is the gorilla walkers Mm. Um, and yeah, like you can see that it matches up quite well with the drawing that Making Stars had on their website, especially in terms of the head of the thing. Um, it looks kind of cool. I'm not a big machine person, but it's cool. What's more interesting here is that we have a Ray figure alongside the Poe figure. And yeah, I think that takes some people aback because it's like, ooh, is Ray on crate then? And like I've seen arguments for and against this because obviously these Lego sets it's not like this is still from the movie showing Poe and Ray fighting side by side but at the same time the Lego sets for The Force Awakens they were reasonably accurate in terms of which characters were put with which play sets mm. so it wasn't like you'd get Han Solo on Jakku for example there was no Han Solo in the Jakku play sets because yeah. that would be wrong so yeah, based on this, I'm leaning towards Ray going to Crate at some point. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. And um, we don't have any other spoilers to suggest that so far. But what's interesting for me is that it changed my understanding of where Crate would appear in the film. Yeah. Because from the trailer, everyone was thinking, oh, okay, so this is probably just showing us kind of the first act of the film. And I know there was that space battle at the end, which you'd, you'd think would be kind of a climax. Yeah. But the Crate stuff, I assumed would be earlier on but now because Ray's there I'm wondering if that's part of the climax and that battle could be going on over the over the planet yeah um, and this is kind of where everything could possibly converge yeah so I think that's very possible so it's also important to note that the Lego figure of Ray she's wearing her second costume oh yeah so that's the true. one with her long hair the one with her like Jedi like costume so yeah she's clearly changed from the clothes she had on at the end of The Force Awakens and that in itself indicates that this is not early in the movie because we know from the ample footage in the trailer where Rey is always wearing that Force Awakens costume that she wears that for at least the first third of the film, I'd estimate. Mm -hmm. So this has to be from after that. And we also now know that it's Captain Poe Dameron. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it seems like he's got a promotion. Um, which I think ties into some rumours. I think... Um, we heard that he was going to take on more of like a leadership role in the resistance. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. Um, it seems like that's probably their way of giving like Poe a bit more to do in the story. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like seeing these pictures, they also remind me of there's a concept art in the 
Art of the Force Awakens book. They shows Rey and she's in a speeder and she's holding her lightsaber up and she's slicing open the underbelly of a ship. I kind of would really like to see her do that of a walker at some point. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be really cool. I think they need to be careful not to be too derivative of what Luke does with the walkers in Empire Strikes Back. Mm. But based on Ryan's ultra defensiveness about... <laughs> Any suggestion that he is just remaking The Empire Strikes Back, I'm not too worried about that. Me neither. Um, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just can't go and see it again. Oh my god. Um, the next set is called First Order Star Destroyer. And the reason why I laughed so hard is because this features a minifigure of Supreme Leader Snoke, TM, because that's such a marketable name, of course. And yeah, then he just has like a bunch of First Order goons with him. And also an evil BB-8, which is amazing. <laughs> but yeah, the standout here is Snoke himself, because he's wearing what appears to be a golden dressing gown, which is amazing. I'm guessing it wouldn't look nearly as bad in the film, but there's <laughs> no. something about seeing in the Lego version of it first <laughs> that looks really silly. It's totally gold member from Austin Powers. <laughs> It yeah. really is. Like I expect him to be talking with like a um like cheesy German accent. <laughs> Just looking at that. That's a pretty deep V. <laughs> yes. It's like, hmm, come and get me. <laughs> it's not the terms in which you want to be thinking about Snoke, really. No. Um <laughs> But yeah, like you say, I'm sure it would look much, much better in the film itself. Again, in the Art of the Force Awakens book. Um, there is actually a concept illustration of Snoke wearing like what appears to be some kind of golden robe that's like heavily ornate with a beautiful pattern on it, and that actually looks quite cool and splendid and beautiful. And I'm sure all more closely resemble that than the Lego iteration. But yeah, it's like I was saying to you before, Kirsty. Um, I really sometimes think they should mitigate for these kinds of things by just showing you what the character looks like in the film. Because otherwise you're just going to get people going, Tee-hee-hee, Snoke's yeah, exactly. a gold member. It's going to be hard to take seriously now. Because it because of the legs, it looks more like a tracksuit than a rope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's like Juicy Couture. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that he's on the same scale as everyone else as well. It's like, I know they would not make especially upsized Lego figurine for Snoke. But because obviously in real life we know he's like seven feet tall or eight feet tall even. Mm. Um, and yeah, you don't get any sense of that here. You just think he'd be like literally on the level of the Stormtroopers in that ridiculous <laughs> outfit. And yeah, it's, it's just hard not to a good take impression. seriously. Yeah. Um, also worth just briefly mentioning is that on the back of the box you can see Snoke talking to what I'm guessing is some kind of hologram. Mm. It's like a glowy blue thing. So yeah, maybe he's Skyping with Kylo and telling him <laughs> to come home or something. But... Intriguing. Yeah, it's much too blurry to tell who he's talking to, but he seems to be talking to someone. Um, right. Then the next one shows a resistance bomber. And this is yet another set. And the characters in this one are, again, you have some random resistance goons. Then you have Vice Admiral Holdo, Resistance Gunner Page, and Poe Dameron. And yeah, this is interesting to me on several levels. Because first of all, Poe here, he's not referred to as Captain. Mm. So... I kind of wonder if this reflects perhaps an early sequence in the film before he gets that promotion. Maybe. Because I I 
can't help but think it has to be something about what his designation is at a particular point in the film because otherwise why not just call him Captain Poe Dameron on all the boxes mm. um, and I don't think it's the kind of thing that's just deliberately making consistent at least I hope not as the, a proofreader that like offends me <laughs> I hate inconsistency <laughs> um, but yeah it's nice to see our first visual representation of Paige <laughs> it isn't a tiny adorable Lego figure she looks very cute and Admiral Holdo, I'm guessing that is what passes for a dress in terms of Lego, even though it could just be, again, like a Snoke-style tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I like that she looks all friendly and lovely, and she's got that appealing purple hair. But um, Yeah, the hair looks great. Yeah, I'm sure she's evil inside. <laughs> um, yeah, aren't these the ships that we see on the in the trailer? Like, right at the end of it, that big space I think battle. so, yeah, with the turrets. Yeah. I think, yeah. It sounds like the idea would be that if Paige is the gunner, she would be in one of those turrets, right? Yes. I think you can see a tiny little page um, oh, on cute. the back of the box. Yeah, like in the gunner position. Mm. <laughs> I've got a helpful arrow shown. Put Paige here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they're all really cute. I, I don't buy Lego, so it's not like I'm going to own any of these. But it's interesting how much fun you can have extrapolating. <laughs> oh, wait, so maybe this means that that battle that we saw in the teaser is earlier in the film. Yes, that was what I was thinking when hmm. I was referring to his rank. Okay. Because Captain is clearly like a promotion of some description. And, yeah, if he's just plain old Poe Dameron for this set, that makes me think it happens relatively early in the film. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Again, it makes me a bit concerned about Paige because mm, she's only in the box set, in the play set for the early part of the film. What happens to her? Oh, God. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like, again, I shouldn't be too pessimistic. We have absolutely no positive spoilers at all saying she dies. I, I think it's just with that character, because she's such an unknown quantity and she clearly exists in relation to Rose, I can't help but think she has to exist to further Rose's story in some way. I don't think that means she has to die, but I do at the very least think it has to mean something like Rose looks at her big sister and sees all the amazing things she's capable of and feels like she has something to prove kind of in relation to her sister. And so she like goes out on this grand adventure with Finn to prove that she can like do these great things just like her sister. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing. But we really don't know. Mm. Um, right. Then the next thing we have is that Pablo Hidalgo has been talking <laughs> at a Chilean fan convention. Because, yeah, Pablo just talking is not newsworthy. Because he often talks about drawing Transformers. <laughs> 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 which is it's kind of irrelevant to our purposes um, but yeah I'd just like to quickly say thank you to the Raylo Forum people for making some notes from this that I've kind of adapted for a basis for this so thank you for that um, and yeah this is just a rundown of some of the most interesting points according to them Pablo said the last Jedi title is both plural and singular. Seriously, I'm so fed up now with that whole dialogue. It's like, I don't care. I don't care either. And that's this is kind of what we were saying from the beginning, right? It's probably intentionally ambiguous yeah. because it's going to be like a Return of the Jedi thing where you can say that it means both. Exactly, yeah. Like, there's this strange quest for definite answers Yeah. when it comes to this kind of thing. It's like, I don't understand. I just don't know why it matters 
maybe people no. think that if they knew the answer, it would be a hint as to whether the Jedi are really going to end, but I don't know. <laughs> Just wait and see. <laughs> I think we should print t-shirts of that on. <laughs> um, right, then the next thing is, it apparently confirms Luke's gloved hand is touching an ancient Jedi book in the trailer. Um, yeah, I think Jason from Making Star Wars basically indicated that the hand belonged to Luke before, so not a big revelation, but still cool. Presumably showing the books to Ray or something, but again, it could be Ben, so limitless possibilities. Um, then Pablo says, Act 2 is the site of the first Jedi temple, but the stone hut featured behind Ray and Luke in the Vanity Fair picture is not a temple. The island is home to caretakers, and these aliens live in those huts. So Luke hasn't been entirely alone. Now this I find interesting because I thought like the Porgs were just like little bird creatures. I didn't think they'd actually have like built structures to live in. Does that imply they built the structures themselves? <laughs> I guess that's if it's referring to the Porgs. We have heard a spoiler from Jason Ward that there's someone else on the island too. Yes. Um, I don't want to go into that too much because I don't know. Like it's, yeah, but... Um, yeah, I know the popular headcanon early on was that Luke was in total isolation, but that doesn't appear to have been totally the case. Yeah, I look forward to meeting Luke's neighbours. Yeah, and you can tell from those huts that they're not really temples, are they? It's like a bit too rustic for that. Yeah, um, they're too humble. Yeah. Um, right, then he said, You had best not underestimate Vice Admiral Holdo. So Pablo's basically implying that she's not to be trusted. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all. She looks like one of the capital residents from Hunger Games, and we know they're not out to do nice things. So. <laughs> then the next one. There are all sorts of rumours about DJ on the internet. He is so shady that there's probably all sorts of rumours about him in the galaxy as well. If you shouldn't judge Holdo by her looks, you can probably judge DJ by his looks. So I'm guessing that says, I'm guessing that's Pablo saying that DJ looks dodgy and untrustworthy, and he is dodgy and untrustworthy? I guess. I mean... It's like a that's... bit too much to say, to be honest, at this point. Well, didn't Ryan say in the Vanity Fair spread that he was shady? Yes. So it's kind of like they're setting us up that way, and it could turn out to be misleading, and actually it's the other way around, and it's more like a Lando situation. But yeah. who knows? Like, I'm oh, always sorry. suspicious of things when they're pushing them so blatantly. It's like, yeah. oh, well, you know, don't judge a book by its cover when it comes to Holdo, but apparently you should with DJ. I don't know. Yeah. I think they're playing games of our minds, Kirsty. Of course <laughs> they are. To think. Yeah. They're always. very talented. Um, oh, yeah. You know, when you were watching Collider Jedi Council, did you hear the bit where um, it was suggested that Holdo and DJ are going to be Sith Master and Apprentice? No, I, I didn't get that far. <laughs> You missed the best bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I feel mean. It's just, it's just a theory, but I'm just like, you. Keep, I don't understand how you're so se- desperate for Sif that you come up with that. <laughs> would be quite the twist. It would be what the twist. <laughs> right then, when talking about the Vanity Fair shot of Hux, Kylo, and Phasma, he says, Kylo, of course, carrying the scar that he got from Ray. Kylo has a lot to prove. Even though the First Order was successful in a lot of what it did in The Force Awakens, you can't forget that Kylo is defeated by a newcomer. The Last Jedi starts off right where The Force Awakens ended, and he has to go and visit his boss. We could all imagine how that's going to turn out. (laughs) 
this actually does make me optimistic that we are going to get that proverbial compassion speech. I mean, it might not be a literal. Oh it, yeah, yeah. It, I don't expect them to just lift the dialogue and stuff, but like it, some iteration on that. It totally makes sense for Snoke to like, you know, berate Kylo in some way because he did fail him. Yeah, like, he did not deliver on what Snoke ordered, so yeah. he was supposed to bring the girl to him, and he yeah. didn't. So, and they also need to set up the dynamic between Kylo and Rey at that point. So it's like, okay, so where does Kylo stand on Rey at this point? And if Snoke is there telling him, how dare you be defeated by this girl? Like, what? Why did you allow yourself to be so distracted? Blah blah blah. Like, then we're gonna get like, oh, I'm so angry. Oh, I have a lot to prove. Like, we're going to get that set up for that dynamic. And, yeah, I think that's going to be important. And it's naturally going to be there at the start of the film. Yeah, I think after the ambiguity of The Force Awakens, you kind of have to have a level of exposition on those things. Um, Because there's still... I still see people out there confused about, like, how did he lose to her? And and where's it going to go from here? And, oh, well, maybe she'll just keep kicking his ass. And it's like, that doesn't seem like a very interesting story. So they have to set things up in some way. Yeah. Right. Then there was a question from the audience about Kylo. And it was, does Kylo Ren know that Darth Vader turned good in the end? And Pablo answered, I think Luke would have told him. He may only have heard a certain side of the story from someone else, and he decided to choose what he chose to believe. So yeah, I I find it quite interesting. Um, In the novelisation, we know that Kylo knows that Darth Vader returned to the light at the end of his life because Snoke and Carlo are having an open conversation about the fact that that happened and discussing why that was so bad and so wrong. And I think this actually fits quite well into that because the suggestion is that Kylo probably had different versions of the story from different people and in the end he chose one version of the story to believe over the other one. Mm -hmm. So for reasons that are hopefully going to become illuminated, he decided to trust Snoke and his telling of that story probably over Luke because like Pablo says it's most likely Luke who explained that story to him because Luke was there with Vader when he was redeemed mm. I mean all this stuff's kind of left up in the air from Bloodline because yeah. Ben didn't know until the whole galaxy knew and then Leia sent that message to him to try and explain but we don't know if he ever received it yeah. um, at that point it's pretty clear that Leia and Han haven't had connection um, communication with Luke and Ben for quite some time Mm. So you get the sense that they're off doing God knows what, and that will be part of the story that we get in the next film. But yeah, yeah, we have no idea what Kylo believes and why, because they did leave that part of the novelization out, like we said quite recently. Um, And yeah, like he's obviously operating under some kind of misunderstanding if Mm. he, if he's avoiding the fact that Vader was redeemed and why. Yeah. Um, He's choosing to believe in a certain aspect of his grandfather and downplaying others. Yeah. So it'll be part of the story. It's intriguing. Yeah. We know that Ryan was like an influence on Bloodline, that he gave Claudia Gray some notes that helped her during the writing and helped set things up. So if like Bloodline does fit in quite well to the story that's been told in The Last Jedi, it'd be really interesting to see a situation where Ben like really really decided he couldn't trust anything his parents or Luke told him because they'd maintained this lie for his whole life by not telling him that he was related to Darth Vader so then if like Snoke came along he was completely upfront with him and honest about 
like the familial relationship and everything, then it would make sense why he would trust Snoke's version of events over, say, Luke's. Because yeah. it'd be like, well, Luke's been lying to me since I was a child, so why should I trust him? I'm very interested to see that if they do go with this, like these explicit Vader references in The Last Jedi, um, how they execute on it in a way that is appealing to people who have read Bloodline and people who haven't. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people out there won't have read Bloodline, so don't have that context. But at the same time, if they're going to have this big reveal that he hadn't been told by his parents, you can't also make it redundant for the people who have. Yeah. It has, it has to be dramatic on all counts. So. Yeah. I'm interested to see how they do that, if that's where they're going. Yeah. I kind of like the idea that um, Ben learned the truth from Snoke before like, it came out publicly. Mm. Like, But perhaps he refused to believe it until it came out publicly. I think that would be an interesting way of telling that story, because then it ties into Bloodline. But it gives you a very, very different perspective on what happened and how Ben experienced that. Yeah. Because if Ben's been fighting against Snoke since his infancy, which is vaguely the impression we get from Empire's End, and being like, no, no, go away, go out of my head, leave me alone, leave me alone. And then he tells him this truth in advance, and he's like, that can't be true, that's impossible. But then a few years later over the Holonets, it comes out, oh my god, Leia and Luke are the children of Anakin Skywalker, also known as Darth Vader. Be like, oh god, Snoke was telling me the truth all along, maybe I should listen to him. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, I would be interested to see how they actually play this in a way that becomes relevant to Ray, because mm. to have this exposition available to the audience, but not the protagonist, or uh, do you know what I mean? Like, there I just has totally to be a mean. very concise way for them to actually deliver this in a way that affects her journey and mm. the audience's perception of what's going on. Because otherwise, they if they don't, and I I have faith that Ryan will do this, but if they if they didn't make it applicable or relevant to Ray, it kind of sidelines her in her own story. Um, and then they become quite dangerously close to making Kylo the main character, which I know a lot of people are worried about. So, mm. Let's see. Yeah. It's kind of why I really like the idea of there being some kind of like force link between them. Like, because then I think it's possible for them to both experience like the facets of each other's journeys and stories and link it to both characters that it becomes personal to them. Mm. so that it's as much about Ray's reaction to that information as the information itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for as well, because yeah. Yeah, I hate the thought of this just not becoming important to Ray somehow, and then it's yeah. like, well, then why is she there? It can't yeah. be off happening in like its own little corner, completely detached from what's going on with Ray, because, mm. like, I, again, I kind of take the poster as like a bit of a mission statement, on the fabric of the story and it's like these three characters are all part of like one thread in this story obviously they're also going to be part of other characters threads as well it's not like luke ray and kylo are only going to share scenes with each other that's not true but i do think we're going to see really fundamental important relationships between those three mm-hmm. so yeah i don't doubt that that's going to be ignored or anything um, yeah, and then I think actually the main story that came out from Pablo's convention appearance was that there were lots of reports from this event saying that Pablo had said that Luke and Leia were going to be reunited on screen in The Last Jedi. Yeah, which he didn't. <laughs> yeah, basically he didn't. It seems like it was a translation error or a misunderstanding on the part of the audience members because he later came out and explained that he was just talking about what was going on in the Vanity Fair photos um, because obviously Mark and Carrie are pictured together for that shoot. 
and they're beautiful photos. Um, but yeah, I, it was just a case of people making something out of nothing, which happens so often. So I think they must have anticipated that fans would get excited about the idea of Luke and Leia being reunited in those photos, because even though we know from previous years the Vanity Fair photos are not a literal representation of what's going to happen in the movie. Yeah. But, but when you have something like that, that fans have been clamoring for, and especially now after Carrie's passing, it's even more important to people that Luke and Leia are reunited in eight. Yeah. Um, Cause they know it can't happen in nine anymore. I think they have mm-hmm. to be quite careful about not using this kind of thing as like a, you know, a marketing tool or some kind yeah. of bait. Um, so I, I'm still I still have my fingers crossed that that is going to happen in the movie. Yeah. Um, but if it doesn't, at least we have that beautiful photo. Yeah, no, it's true. So it's like, I know that Megan Star Wars said that as far as they understood it, Luke and Leia weren't reunited in episode eight. And it's true that they did say that in one of their podcasts. But at the same time, they also said that they had no evidence to suggest that Luke and Ray ever leave Act 2. Mm. And now we are getting evidence to suggest that at the very least, Ray does because of that Lego set shown her on crate. So I think if they were... If that information was incomplete in regards to that, it's also highly possible it's incomplete in regards to the interactions that Luke and Leia might have, like, hopefully with each other. But yeah, time will tell. And we will find out probably when we see the movie. I don't see them spoiling that in advance, to be honest. Me neither, because it would be such a big deal for people to see that in real time. Yeah, I think it'd be really like it'd be a, mo- a moment of real emotional catharsis. I think, mm-hmm. so yeah, it'd be really nice. And yeah, just one last detail that I thought I should mention, that's quite interesting, is that apparently he said something along the lines of, "We will see Captain Phasma's face in the Last Jedi, but the Vanity Fair photo of Gwendolyn Christie in her Phasma gear does not reflect what she'll look like in the film." And yes, she is a woman. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would doubt the Phasma was a woman. But... Well, I think. Yeah, this is what's confusing because um, in The Force Awakens, I don't think that they had decided whether she was actually going to be human or mm. humanoid. Yeah. So now they've decided she's human, it sounds like, but she's not necessarily going to look like Gwendolyn. Yeah, which is interesting because I had presumed that she was just going to look like Gwendolyn based on the cover, um, but that was clearly a bit of a lazy assumption. Um, it does make me intrigued as to what she might actually look look like under there, though. It's like, does she have like a big gnarly scar or a big burn mark or something like what are you gonna do yeah i think that was a fair assumption to make because hux and kylo seem to be set up as looking like they actually will in the movie yeah so she takes a mask off then she looks like that but i guess not yeah i guess she did look very pretty like because gwendolyn's gorgeous she Um, did but she had a pretty nasty expression on her face it's true yeah she looked a bit like a she looked badass and everything but um i maybe it's like no phasma's hair wouldn't be this nice Right, and then the final story we have is that we've got a new insight into Finn from Entertainment Weekly. And this story got completely lost in all of the Vanity Fair turmoil because, yeah, there was so much stuff from Vanity Fair that at the time I was like, did Entertainment Weekly really publish something just now? Because that seemed like such silly timing to me because no one's going to be focusing on like a relatively small story from EW when you're getting this huge cover story from Vanity Fair. Mm. Um, but yeah, this story's about Finn, and even though it's a small story, it's quite a cool one. Finn's in a bad way at the end of episode 7. He has a lot of issues. He got slashed with a sabre, and that, and that took him down real hard. So he's in a coma, the actor says. 
That suit, the whole thing, helps him to recover, but we're not sure whether that means he'll wake up. Spoiler, he wakes up, but he's not exactly good as new. There's some additional few things that need to be done to make him mobile. He's definitely in a place where he needs some help, Boyega says. While some heroes become stronger after surviving that which does not kill them, Finn is walking wounded. It's a grounding injury. It's going to take him some time to get back on the ball. But when he does... Oh, he does. There's something else Star Wars fans should know. Recovering from a lightsaber wound is a more arduous process than most other injuries. Once it's in, it continues to burn the skin and the cells. It's not a piece of flame that whacks your body. It's not something that works like a stab wound. It's really brutal. The actor says. Yeah, then um, that's basically the main point of interest covered. Um, but yeah, like it, I much prefer this bit to all the big deal talk. Bless John, I know he loves big deal talk. <laughs> <laughs> but this is much more interesting to me because it does indicate that we're going to get a more interesting story than I might have expected. Because, again, I think we had a making Star Wars story where it was like Finn comes back from the back to suit or whatever it was and he's better than ever. And that's really cool, and I want to see Finn be badass, but at the same time, his spine was slashed open. (laughs) And I'm happy that it seems like we're actually going to get the consequences of that explored and touched upon. Yeah, it does seem like it would be more interesting and allow for some pretty intense acting. Yeah. Um, I do think it's kind of strange that they've gone with this choice for Finn, and yet Kylo has his tiny little scar that moved across his face. Because yeah. if they're talking about lightsaber injuries being really brutal, um, how does that work <laughs> for one character but not another? My theory, based in universe, is that the First Order has much better medical equipment than the Resistance. Uh, maybe. I know that's weak. I know that's weak. But this is the kind of thing where you have to just rationalise it for yourself. Because but that's the what film I, that's is what never I mean. going to touch upon it. I, that's the thing. It's not If that's where they're going, they're doing it for one character but not for another. Mm. Um, so yeah like for Kylo's it seems like an aesthetic choice to make him pretty and uh, for Finn I mean I'm not complaining about it because for Finn it seems like it would be like a really meaty part of the character development mm. um, I don't know it, it, it's like they're introducing new lightsaber lore but mm. in a selective way yeah no I know what you mean like um, it's the kind of detail I'm surprised fans haven't jumped on more because like in Star Wars fandom people tend to be very like sensitive to things like this where there's inconsistencies in terms of how equipment is used and how weapons are used. Like Star Wars fans are usually the first to complain. But I can only guess because everyone was so distracted by the Vanity first stuff, they didn't really focus on what's being said here. But Maybe. you're right that it does betray like an inconsistency in approach. Um but yeah, I really I can only assume to be honest, that the decisions like to move the scar and to make it so tiny, that is very much for out of universe reasons. Mm. Like rather than in universe reasons. And I know that's hard to accept sometimes when you're as immersed in like a fantasy world as like big fans like us are. But yeah, it's just the way it is sometimes. Yeah, I mean like you said, I prefer this to the earlier explanation of, oh, he's gonna be bigger and better than ever, because that's that's kind of dull to me, honestly. That that's just kind of a superficial superhero arc. Um, yeah, it's like I, Steve Rogers from Captain America. Exactly, I saw that comparison a lot earlier on, and it's just not very interesting to me. Yeah, uh, I would like to see Finn deal with the choices that he's made, and like, I don't know. I feel like it would deepen the character that he, yeah. he really does have something to overcome here. 
Yeah. Um, and it does also make me wonder, like, if it's going to give him something like for Vendetta against Kylo, because if he has these like serious injuries that take him a while to recover from, like, it makes me wonder if he could be like, ah, Kylo did this to me, ah, Kylo did this to me. Um, and I just, I don't know, I think it would build an interesting tension when those characters come back together, because Finn is very, very understandably going to have serious problems with what happened. Yeah. In terms of Kylo. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I believe that is actually us at the end of the news. I think they decided to spare us from like a second onslaught <laughs> because they probably knew we all had fatigue after that immense like splurge of Vanity Fair articles, um, which I'm kind of glad of because it just gives us time to step back and say, okay, we can finish talking about these things now and move on. Yeah. Was there anything in the Vanity Fair main article that you wanted to touch upon? Because there were certain things that it was quite Mark Hamill and Luke Heavy, in my opinion. Yeah, very much so. And they talked a lot about how what Mark thought of The Force Awakens. And I guess that makes sense because he was like brought on board for the project, but then actually didn't end up being a major part. Yes. Um, and he was talking about some of the decisions that J.J. and Kazan made with the story and how he would have done things differently. Yeah. And they were things that I disagreed with him quite strongly on. Um, yes. That I know other fans probably would have liked the ideas. And I, it it points me to like an interesting faction in the fandom where, you know, some people are very invested in the new characters now, and others aren't so much, and mm. really want to, really wanted to see Luke, Leia, and Han together again. Yeah, which I think has made all the sore now because we know that that can't happen. Yes. Um, but like Mark was saying things like, "Oh, when Han died, Luke should have been there." Or, mm. uh, he said this before, but when the saber flew in the forest, he should have been the one to catch it. And it's like, <laughs> that, that is something that I think would have been absolutely awful for JJ to decide to do that. Yeah. He might have been joking, but... I think if that had happened, it would have totally undermined Ray's story. Yeah. would be like, oh, don't worry, you like, young girl, this elderly wizard is here to save the day and help you out. You run along now, I'll fight the big bad man. Like, yeah, it just completely betrays the fact that this is a story about a young woman, because then it does just by default make the story completely about Luke again. And that's not where we should be. Like, and I totally think Mark's come to terms with that. Like, in interviews, like he's been the first person to say, I'm a supporting character now, I'm here to prop up the other characters' stories. Um, so I think Mark has a very clear-sighted vision of that now. Um, but yeah, I'm very glad the Mark Hamill version of The Force Awakens didn't come to fruition. I'm sure it would have made lots of fans very happy, but I absolutely don't think it's best for the franchise moving forward. Because it right. does need to be about these new characters and about telling new stories about new people, rather than just bringing back a legacy character for the sake of having them be a badass and save the day. Like It's very clear why that would appeal to Mark Hamill, because he is Luke Skywalker. <laughs> but yeah, like that kind of self-interest, it's not what makes for a good story. Yeah. I would say overall, like I enjoyed reading the Vanity Fair story, but I did feel like it was pretty light on the Ray aspects. Like I know you said there were a lot of Ray photos, but mm. it kind of cemented for me the ongoing conversation in fandom that the most interesting part about Ray for a lot of people has been who her parents are and that a lot of people thought she was Luke's kid. Yeah. Um I don't know, I just I want to talk about different aspects of Ray. 
I really hope they get to that with the marketing. I hope it's not just endless Luke Skywalker teasers. And I, mm. I don't want to offend anyone who is a major Luke fan. I know you are. Mm. Um, I just, I really love Ray, and I want it to be clear that it's her story. And and to be fair, the article did call it the Ray centered story. Yeah. Um. Which you know can be argued that that actually quite trivializes Finn in his story as well. But I just want the focus to be on the newer characters now. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. I think you reach a point where you're like, I'm just done with hearing stories about the weight, weight loss Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill had to Well, do that was borderline offensive, honestly. That was offensive, yeah. Like, it's gross, and it's so overplayed, and we've heard it a million times, and it just didn't need to be there. Um, and yeah, like you say, just more generally, just this endless focus on the legacy aspects and the nostalgia. Like, it's like in that article, it's five things that will be in The Last Jedi. One of the things was practical built sets. Oh. And it's like, great! Like, but just enough! We know, we know now, guys. You don't need to keep on emphasising that. It's also just like, stop talking about CGI as if it's the devil. <laughs> the Force Awakens used plenty of CGI. Yeah, I'd be surprised if there's a single shot in The Force Awakens with no CGI. Exactly. It's like, it's not bad. It's just, you know, maybe Lucas went a bit overboard with it in the prequels because it was relatively new technology and he wanted to be innovative. And he was innovative. Like, it changed cinema for a lot of different franchises. Like, exactly. It's just, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm getting to a fatigue place, but I'm quite tired of that um, passive aggressive prequels bashing that's still going on. Yeah. Because that's what that is. Like, how yeah. is that still happening? Like, did they not prove from The Force Awakens that, yes, they're aware that some people hate the prequels and, yeah, they're going to go back to the, the original trilogy and then people endlessly criticize it for being just a rehash of that. It's like, they cannot win. Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. Like, it's easy to get frustrated with just this endless talk about these, like, tired subjects that we've heard discussed a million times. Because, like you, I'm so much more interested in what the characters are going to do going forward, not the old characters and like these quirky anecdotes from behind the scenes of like the shooting and just all that kind of stuff. It's just not very interesting to me. I really do think it's a combination of a Vanity Fair. It's aimed at an older audience, and by default, they are probably going to be more interested in the elements of the film that are connected to the legacy characters. Um, so yeah, I think that's part of the reason for why there's so much focus on Mark and Carrie. And second of all, I think it's also a question of playing their cards reasonably close to their chest because we're still quite a long way out from the movie. So it's still yeah. six months away. And I do absolutely think when we see the publicity ramp up, we're going to learn more about what the actual story in The Last Jedi is going to be. And then the marketing focus will shift onto the new characters and what they're going to be doing. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. I mean, focusing on Carrie, I have absolutely no problem with and completely understand. Yeah. it's It was the emphasis of the article seemed to be heavy on Luke and Mark. Yeah. Um, which, again, like, I love Mark. I love Luke. That's not... I'm not trying to be, like, super negative about it. It's yeah. just, I guess, um, it kind of contributes to my... That in the back of my mind, I've always been like, God, what if they take the story away from Ray and Finn? And, mm. and make it the Luke Skywalker show. Yeah. No, like, I do really understand that concern, but I'm not worried about it. Because I think they know that their main audience at this point, the audience they really need to win over with these new films is the young people. The people who this is going to be their Star Wars. Mm. 
Mm. And the heroes they dream about being, they're going to be Ray, Finn, Poe, and if he's redeemed, Kylo. Um, because, yeah, they're going to identify with the young people in these movies. They're not going to identify with the old man, you know? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I don't mean any disrespect by that. I love Mark and I love the character of Luke Skywalker. But the fact is that he's had his story. He's had his complete character arc. And now he's there to be like the wise mentor, the wizard figure. And like in other interviews, Mark has made it very clear that that's the function that he's filling in these new movies. Um, so I think he's acutely aware of that. I think we're just getting like a skewed impression of what Luke's place is going to be in these new movies because the big places where they've talked about The Last Jedi so far have been style celebration, where saying, yeah, Luke Skywalker is going to be a central focus is an automatic crowd pleaser because... Star Wars Celebration is like the most hardcore of hardcore Star Wars fans. <laughs> and you're going to get a lot of big, big, big Luke fans in the auditorium. Not all. Obviously, you were there. And like Luke, for you, is not what you really want from these new movies. But I do think it was just like a crowd-pleasing move. And then, like I said, of Vanity Fair, they are just going to be pushing that nostalgia button because of the nature of their readership. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not worried. What I really hope for, actually, is for the next trailer to like set up some kind of story element. Yeah. I would like more of an emphasis on Finn and Rose outside of the story as well. Yeah. So we didn't even see Rose in the first trailer, so we have to see her in the next one. Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking it'd be really interesting. So if like the starting point for, say, Kylo is going to be, I need to go after Rey and get my revenge, I'd like to just see them set up that plot point. You know, So then we have that to see, oh, this is going to be one of the main conflicts of the film. Like, and then obviously it could play out very differently in terms of how the actual film's going to go, but then it would at least get people's concentration back on the new characters yeah. and how they relate to each other, which I think is so much more interesting. Yeah, I think they're going to have to do that. So, yeah. Looking forward to it. Hopefully we'll get something. I mean, it's due now, so maybe we'll get it next month. Yeah. No, Um, I think the next trailer depends. Uh, like being pessimistic, I think it might not come until early autumn. Oh, I know. <laughs> I want something like, at D23 or Comic-Con. Oh, we'll, well, I, I reckon we're going to get a behind-the-scenes reel then. Okay. I'd say there's like 60% chance. <laughs> because the, I, I don't know why I'm doing this, so I'm just going to make a fool of myself. But hey-ho. So I guess we had those quite firm reports saying they're cutting a behind-the-scenes reel now. So I'm quite confident it exists, and they're going to have to use it somewhere. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, right, I think that brings us to an end for this show. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you have any questions, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And you can find me on Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and on Journal of Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thanks again for tuning in. And oh, actually, though, this reminds me next week mm-hmm. we're going to be skipping the show. And there's a very, very special reason for that. And it's because next week, everything going to plan, I should be on Skellig Michael. Woohoo! Literally this day, one week from now. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm a bit nervous and terrified. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed because so much of it depends on the weather being good for the crossing. Um, But yeah, it should be really, really exciting. And it's going to be awesome. Yeah, very cool. Me on up too. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? I'm going to be really nerdy, I think, and I'm going to print off like a few pages of like screen grabs 
from like the act two scenes mm-hmm. and so then i'm going to like try and pose in the same shots of course you've got to not be getting those <laughs> <laughs> i should find like a prop lightsaber and take it with me yeah do it i'm sure everyone else is when they go i bet they do yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i'm really looking forward to that it's gonna be great um but yeah no show next week but there will be one the week after thank you for listening everyone and until next time bye bye